Telemetry Oncology here at Highland, um, and I just came here to talk about some of the constraints and struggles that our unit is having. Um, one of the biggest things on our unit is that the nurses haven't been paid for these missed meal breaks over the past several years. Uh, I'm a newer nurse here, I've only been here for recent years, but there's my coworkers of mine who have been here for decades who have not been paid for years of missed breaks and they don't feel very appreciated and it makes sense. If the organization isn't paying them for these missed meal breaks, then that doesn't demonstrate that the organization cares about nursing. Um, and I, I personally don't care a lot about money. To me, it's all about patient safety. So I don't feel that a priority to me is having food at meetings that I'm attending to for me because I'm a healthy person. But when I look at the patients that I'm taking care of and the community that I'm involved in, these patients don't have a voice for themselves. Many of the clinical staff are very overstrained just trying to take care of their patients and advocate for the right decisions to be made. And it's very saddening to me that we prioritize things over their safety. And sometimes there's complicated issues that have to do with staffing that make it a more complicated decision, then we just need to hire more people. Um, but we do have some good programs that they've been doing, like the nurse residency program. It has been very helpful for our unit, uh, where they hire new nurses or nurses who are new to a hospital setting, and they train them and they promote them. Um, but really, I just think that if the organization will promote those new nurses and promote the nurses they have, that'll be better, and they won't be taking these nurses for granted. When the nurses are not being recognized adequately by an organization, it builds a culture of burnout. And burnt out nurses are dangerous for everyone. Nobody wants to be a burnt out nurse. When you're going on and the staff is burnt out, it's dangerous for the patients, it's dangerous for the staff, and it's dangerous for the organization. And there's a lot of significant research to show that this culture of burnout, as opposed to a culture of safety and respect and appreciation, leads to a lot of adverse effects that end up costing the hospital system more money. So. I hope you will take that into consideration, and please take these matters seriously. It's all about our patients and our community that we're here to care for. Actions speak louder than words. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, 
Um, I'll, I'll call off a few more names. I know that you needed to get back uh, from your break, correct? So thank you for taking your time to come speak with us. I've got uh, Wallace Osborne, uh, Satwan Ruel, yes. uh, Donna Spangler, and then Chung Lu, and then I'll call the next group after that. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is uh, Wallace Osborne, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak before you guys today. Um, I'm here to speak to you on behalf of uh, my fellow co-workers in uh, Central Supply. We're responsible for ensuring that all the units, the nurses, and uh, other direct care providers have everything they need to provide the highest quality care possible to our patients. As a result of um, as a result of not filling vacated positions in Central Supply as well as the implementation of the lean program, Central Supply staff members that service our inpatient units are not being covered on their days off. This means there's no service to those units when we're absent or when we're not at work. Historically, these areas have always been serviced on a daily basis. These lapses in coverage create fluctuation and shortages of supplies as well as unnecessary hardships on these departments when nurses and direct care providers must leave their units and their patients to come to Central Supply to obtain the necessary supplies to treat their patients. In addition, Central Supply staff members are overwhelmed when returning to work even after just one day off. Staff members have been told by our immediate leadership that no assignments will go two days without service. However, this is yet to occur. Staff members must catch up the best they can, often causing stock shortages just to get their units back to par. Staff members are frustrated when they are told one thing and the opposite is what is actually occurring. Also, we have a wildlife issue on our shipping and receiving docks. There are pigeons and other birds that are nesting there and leaving their droppings and waste all over the dock area. Our immediate leadership is aware of this, but no course of action has been taken. Uh, to address this problem. We have thousands of dollars of equipment that come in and out of here and um, the birds and the environment that the uh, mess that they make takes is uh, very unsanitary. Also, staff members have been told that having one or two people on vacation on any given day should not be a problem. However, staff members are being denied vacation and time off on a regular basis. We keep being told that only one staff member can be on vacation and have time off. This includes both shifts, even though we have at least six permanent part-time and SANs that can cover staff if necessary. Staff members have brought forth concerns regarding the posting of schedules for over two years, yet the scheduling is still an ongoing issue. Staff has also voiced their concerns about the lack of training and the failure to receive training pay when training other team members to learn new assignments. Staff is not receiving the training premiums that were agreed upon. Staff has also voiced concerns regarding the distribution of additional shifts by senior staff members, but senior staff members continue to lose shifts to less and with, to staff with less seniority and services needed employees. Our staff members are very knowledgeable about their jobs. However, we feel that our opinions and ideas for improvement in our department are not being given any consideration. We also feel that our concerns are not being taken seriously. In short, all of these issues have a direct or indirect impact on the quality of care of our that our patients receive. These ongoing issues also have a negative effect on the morale of staff and the quality of 
the, our working environment. In the best interest of our health care providers and staff members working in Central Supply, we are asking for your help in resolving these issues and challenges that we currently face as soon as possible. I thank you for allowing our department the opportunity to address these issues. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Officer. I'm Sadwan Karewal. I'm representing here social services and case, case management. Um, we started this process of collaboration and arrangement in 2016. We did workflow analysis with the um, Fred Association. In the past, we did workflow analysis with Cameo. We were been told there's going to be special contacts contact to bring more resources, to bring more um, workers to our team. It's not been done. It's not been done yet. And then we do have a lot of sick calls every day. We are working with short staff. Today, one of Royal Travel Worker was uh, got to call in at uh, San Andrew Hospital. And then we do have concerns about our patients. We do wanted to give them excellent care. They do not come here just for medical care. They do come here for social problems. Our biggest challenge and our biggest issue is to place patient at the dialysis center. We have many patients who are sitting here. We have no contact with outpatient dialysis center. It takes a lot of time for us, and we do have our clerks there sitting on the phones daily, hours and hours, and there's no doctor, a renal accepting doctor for those patients. And also, um, since we brought in San Leandro Hospital, Alameda Hospital, um, we got two additional nursing home with them they do not take our patient. They do look at our patients as an outsider or second citizen. They tell us that patient is not suitable for their facility, and those patients, uh, they're waiting here for a long time. And also, there are a lot of added functions to our social services and case management, such as TCM and MA, which we are generating a lot of revenue. And at the same time, there are a lot of out contracting which is costing us a lot of money such as optim program while we do have our own MD nursing case manager to review those cases and thank you everybody thank you hello my name is Donna Spangler I am speaking for the eighth and ninth floor med surge units thank you for letting us talk to you today we have lots of issues mainly is our staffing issues um, which is very hurtful to our patients. We have many patient falls. Uh, I think around in December, in one week, we had, I believe, seven falls, which prompted the state of California to come out, and I believe um, issued a citation for that unsafe staffing. Um, we are so short-staffed at some times that we have 5150 patients, we have patients that require sitters that are high fall risk, elderly patients that have already fallen many times that have no sitter. So the nurses are pulled into those rooms or have to sit outside the rooms, which takes them away from their other patients. They, that it's almost impossible to give quality care and to make sure that our patients are safe if we don't have enough staffing. If we um, address this to our management, which I hear there's some changes going on and we appreciate that, there's 
much retaliation. So the nurses that do speak out are, are subjected to this retaliation. Um, and because of it, a lot of nurses won't say anything. Um, it's really sad for the patients. We expect when we come to work to have difficult patients. We know where we're at. We know what community we live in. But we don't expect our management to treat us the way that we, they're treating us when we are voicing concerns about patient safety, which is our number one goal, to give quality patient care. We're trying to get magnet, and it will never happen if they do not staff us, and especially just, I mean, basic things, like um, the, the gentleman from Central Supply on the weekends, we can't even get supplies at night, so we have to call the house supervisor to go get us supplies to bring, which causes delayed care for a lot of, a lot of our patients. For the last few weekends, um, well, not few, the last couple of months, on the weekends, we're so, so short-staffed, we don't have a, a charge nurse. So then they'll pull our break nurse. It makes it very difficult for all of us. Um, a lot of the CM4s they have now, they're not supposed to do patient care, yet they're counted in our numbers. We need people that help us. We need people that we can call upon to maybe help with, even based just sitting with the patient. It's, it's, it's very scary a lot of nights that we're there. Um, uh, essentials, such as thickener, for our patients that are um, on a dysphagia diet, we don't have it. You can't find it anywhere on eight or ninth floor. There's, there's, it's not there. So when I brought this up, nothing. There's nothing. I'm t just retaliation. I think a lot of the floors issue the same. I mean, have the same issues as we do. Um, I've been up the channel, up, up the chain, so far to talk about it. Um, and like I said, I know there's some changes going on. We do appreciate, and I thank you for listening to us. Thank you. Hi, my name is Chong. I'm from Respiratory Care Department for Highland. I'm here to bring your attention about how my director mismanaged the budget, which affect our staffing, and it, as a result, put, um, affect the patient care. My director has hired her niece as a coming tech since 2012. She was going to University of Oregon at the time, and now she's in law school, but we believe that she has been getting paid part-time or full-time hours ever since 2012. And George Yates, who is a traveler and legal educator, but we hardly ever see him at all. But we believe, she's, we believe he's been getting paid 24 hours a week. Because of this mismanagement of the budget by her, we are being forced to work short staff, and mostly at night, night shift, and which put our patient in danger. And if we bring out any issue to her, she would retaliate against us by banish us to other facility, denial of vacation, or even fooling us between days and nights. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you. Oh, so sorry, yeah, who's the next work? Uh, Stacey Allen, uh, Adrian Jackson, Michael Ong, and uh, Miller Crystal Tolman, oh, I got that right. Hello, I am also a respiratory therapist here at Highland Hospital. Um, I've been here for almost 13 years, and lately 
it has been a challenge working here. Um, miserable almost to want to come to work. Our department has <coughs> been cut down to staff, which um, <coughs> makes it hard. The other night, we had only three respiratory therapists. Um, we're not allowed to call people in for overtime. They don't want to staff any of the SANs, which is causing us, on the other hand, your vacation gets denied. Um, we have one therapist that might have anywhere from six to eight ventilators for one shift, which these people are depending on us to breathe, manage their ventilator care, and one therapist to eight ventilators is a rough night. Um, where normally you typically could have, you should have four. So patient care is suffering because we're unable to do everything with the lack of staff. Um, we have talked management and tried to go up and up and up and it seems nobody wants to meet with us, nobody wants to listen to us. There is a budget issue, but yet we have things like three equipment techs, but yet we're finding all the time we're staffing our own areas. I don't have time to run and go get an ambu bag when somebody codes on the floor. That is already supposed to be there. Um, I could go on and on, but it's a problem and I hope somebody decides that they want to look into it. My job, it's life or death for these patients, um, working with ventilators, BiPAPs. If you cannot breathe, um, you're having an asthma attack and I don't even have a simple nebulizer to give you a treatment, it's a problem. So um, thank you for listening to me and I hope it gets fixed one way or the other. Thank you. Thank you. Adrian Jackson, I'm a representative of the respiratory therapy department as well. Um, my colleagues, I'm, I'm proud to call these guys my colleagues there. They love doing the work just like I love doing the work and they love this hospital just like I love this hospital. Um, when I first came here, I, I, I heard that it was a teaching facility. And we, we partook in traumas, and all this exciting stuff. And, uh, and just to be able to serve the community of Oakland is like, is awesome. Um, and I would love to continue to do that. Um, the morale in our department is really low at this time. Um, instances of nepotism, um, we have a sister hired to manage her sister and her sister-in-law. Um, staffing issues, that directly affects uh, patient care when we're walking around feeling like, all right, you know, we got a team over here and a team over here, and where are we at, you know? Um, we, have, uh, we have instances where, you know, we love to teach as well, and we're told to take students on top of our assignments and we're responsible for watching these students, you know. And a lot of times, we're not able to watch these students like we would like to because it gets busy in this in this facility. And we have had instances where mistakes have been made that have directly affected patients. And the therapist is left to, to, to feel responsible and ultimately is responsible for that patient and that student. Um, uh, right now, um, I believe our, our department is in crisis, but I believe these are simple fixes. I believe it's some of these things are management 101 and, and they can be fixed easily. So I am very hopeful and I would love to continue to, uh, to serve this community. Thank you guys. Thank you. My name is uh, Michael Wong. I'm also from the respiratory department. Um, I think a lot of my colleagues uh, summed it up best. When we're here because of mistreatment of management. We're here because of patient staff and the low levels that we're forced to work with. Um, just 
four months ago, we went to the union about MOU issues, about mistreatment, and since then, we've been cut down from seven to five RTs. And in the last three weeks, when we have sick call issues, we're forced to work with four. And just recently, we're forced with three. And when we call management and we express our concerns, we're told just to deal with it. Me personally, as a lead, I'm supposed to come and I'm supposed to help people in the ER. I'm supposed to back up people. But lately, I'm given a full assignment. And just recently, three weeks ago, I was called to emergency section. But I'm on the floors doing patient care. By the time I get there, the baby's already out. Thank God the baby's okay. But I would hate to, to, to feel like if something were to happen, if the baby needed to be resuscitated. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to urge the board to do something. I don't want an incident to happen to our patients. I don't want you guys to react because of an incident happening. And that's why a lot of us are here. A lot of people in our apartment don't want to speak up. And, and I, I don't blame them because of retaliation. But I urge you guys just to listen to our words, just to investigate and fight for your own self. And I appreciate you guys just listening to me. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Miller. I'm from uh, respiratory department as well. Uh, lead therapist at night. Um, I was a student here since 2008 and was hired here, here as a, a respiratory full-time in 2011. Um, ever since then, I moved myself up to the ladder and uh, found out that you know there's the management and was it's not a good management at all. Uh, mistreated by uh, management and uh, low staffing. Um, our duties here uh, as a RT is to cover the ER, the ICU, six, seven, eight, nine floors, and all the deliveries. Uh, with that being said, also the cath lab um, and other departments, that's uh, critical patients intubated. And sometimes, you know, they leave us with three and four staffing, which uh, puts a really a high risk, uh, patient risk. And also in our license, um, we're just here to speak out our concerns about the, that level. And uh, hopefully you guys consider that. Uh, Susan Larson, John Pearson, uh, Surya O'Sullivan, and Olivia. Olivia, sorry. Hi, Dr. Paquette. Hi. Hi. So I've heard everything about staffing and management and the retaliation, and these are big issues. The other issues within my department I will speak about is the borders in the same-day surgery and in the annex in the surgery area. And then you have not just the borders that are there, but after a few days these patients have been there, you have flies. And then there's flies in the operating room and flies in same-day surgery, flies in the recovery room. <laughs> the other thing is, is patients we're talking about the motto, the safety, the caring, the healing, the teaching. We have patients that are NPO till after midnight. They come in for surgery, they will wait there all day long. 
And just the other day, there was someone there at five o'clock still waiting to get into surgery. I don't know why they're going on even past three o'clock. I think it's really unfair to the patient. I, I, I don't like looking at it. I've been looking at that for many years. And then what you have to say is, oh, they're coming. They're gonna be right out, they'll, you're next, you're next. And it's not really the truth. Anything to calm the situation down. Um, I can't really think of anything else that I'm having a problem with besides the borders. The staffing, that can be fixed. That's always an issue. I think that's just up to management to see that it needs to be fixed. I mean, I can sit here and say all day long, my concern is borders, my concern is these patients remaining in PO till way too long. And then being discharged home at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night makes no sense to me. So that's not caring and that's not healing to me, so. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Uh, I'm John Pearson. I'm a nurse here in the ER at Highland, and I'm also SEAU 10 to 1's AHS chapter president, so we represent a little over 3,000 members uh, here and at most of the other AHS campuses. Um, so I want to underscore some of the things that uh, our members told you tonight. Um, so you heard from respiratory therapists um, who you can tell by the way they speak how committed they are to their job and how much they love it. And I know from working them in the ER, with, with them in the ER how crucial their job is. So what they do keeps patients breathing. So when Stacy says, I reach for an Ambu bag and it's not there, that's a patient who can't breathe, who needs Stacy's help to breathe. And Stacy can't find the equipment to do it that's supposed to be hanging right there at the bedside. That connects with what Wallace was saying about areas not being stocked. So I don't know if you caught what he said, but he said uh, his boss is telling them that there should be somebody stocking an area maybe every two days. That's not good enough. So I've had the experience in the ER of critical care equipment, the same kind of thing that Stacy mentioned, not being there. You go into an IV cart and you have a patient you really need to start an IV on and one of the drawers is empty and the equipment's not there and you have to go running around searching, looking for it. It hasn't been like that forever. I can remember a recent time where things were well stocked, but Central Supply has had their staffing cut and we don't get the equipment that we need. You also heard from Donna Spangler talking about 5150 patients and other patients that need sitters up in the med surge floors, not having the, so the, the floors not having the staffing that's adequate to provide a sitter. So what that means is a patient that, some of these patients are tied to the bed, restrained, Right? and on a hold against their will with nobody watching them making sure that they're safe. That's not okay. I've experienced the same exact thing in the ER. The common thread that we're hearing from our members and that we're seeing as we work is chronic understaffing. And what we've experienced department after department after department is a complete lack of care and concern for actual real need staffing needs by management. We get talk about numbers but that's it. We don't get actual concern about what the real need is. We need to be talking realistically about what our patients deserve and not, well, sorry, we just can't do it. Um, instead of that, what we get is experimentation. So an example of that is in the ER, management just decided without talking to the union at all to experiment with a brand new ambulance triage process where nurses are told not to fully triage ambulance patients and instead boot them out to the lobby. It's happening now. Um, so 
thank you for hearing all of our concerns, um, and we are really looking forward to working with you, together with you, on making sure that our patients get the care that they need. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm gonna keep this very short. My name is Soraya O'Sullivan. I am a nurse in the PACU. And one thing I would like to say first off, I just recently became a shop steward and I speak to a lot of employees now. And I just want you to know that your staff, the people that work at AHS, love to work at AHS. They love their job. The one common denominator with all of these people is their management. Everyone pretty much across the board says, I'd love to take care of these patients. They need us. I love coming here. I can't handle the way my manager is running this department. And seems to be a blueprint across a lot of departments with the cronyism, the favoritism, retaliation, the OR. The OR is the hospital's money maker. It is been mismanaged and is, I would, in my opinion, has been run to the ground. This is the core of the hospital in terms of making hospital revenue. And they've allowed leadership in that department who are not qualified to run that department, run that department into the ground. The doctors are, the doctors are frustrated. The nurses are frustrated. They can do 25, 30 cases a day if they have staff, if the patients have a place to go. The borders, it's not right to have a very, very sick ICU patient bordering in the PACU for days. The PACU doesn't have the same resources ICU does. They should not be in PACU for days. Patients shouldn't be coming into surgery, having to be admitted to a hospital bed, never getting that bed and being discharged home from the PACU because we're not making any money off of that patient after they have been recovered. I mean, it's not right for the patient and frankly, it's not right for the bottom line of the hospital. It can be managed better. It's not rocket science, a lot of this stuff. I've been here for 11 years and it's been the same situation, the borders, the not having beds. Well, why does the night supervisor look at the surgery schedule, see how many patients need to be admitted, plan for it. A lot of the stuff is, hey, you know, fly by the seat of our pants. I would be a charge nurse in PACU. I would know how many patients need beds. Hey, you guys, don't add surgery. Don't add more cases. These patients have nowhere to go. Falls on deaf ears. Anyways, you have staff that care. You have qualified, hardworking staff who want to work here. People that work at Highland want to work at Highland. They can work at Kaiser. They can work at UCSF. They don't want to. They want to work here for a reason. They need to have the resources. They need to have the support of their managers. And you've got a great, great crew. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, next was Olivia, your last name. Okay. Hi, my name is Olivia. I just want um, to say hi to the Board of Trustees since you won't be seeing me after July 20th. I'm one of the four mid-level layoffs on dermatology team. Um, my team was told by the CMO that we are, quote, not a priority, end quote and by the CAO of Ambitorious, quote, not bringing value to the organization, end quote. I recognize I may not be valued for what I do beyond billing appointments. Sometimes we might keep 
uh, patient med for a homeless patient in our home fridge or spend time on the phone appealing prior authorizations so my patients can get medications that they need or provide psychosocial support for patients who've just found out that they have an STD or have pus coming out of their personal areas or do constant coordination of care in a fragmented system with many EHRs. However, I was compliant with AHS's plan to transition to one dermatologist and no mid-levels. We made it clear to our supervisors in the union that when this happened that my coworkers and I were willing to transfer to other departments in need of mid-levels. But that didn't happen. Labor relations told us there are no positions. Now, why is it that an organization continues to bring on new mid-level mid provider hires in orthopedics and urology and even posts on sites like Indeed.com for mid-levels when we we're supposed to be on a hiring freeze. Do you know what we have been through the last two months? Trying to explain to patients why I can't give them a follow-up appointment with the provider that they have been having the last few months or years. Multiple staff in tears and in crisis as they wonder how their children will have health insurance or if they're others wondering if their job is next. The, the constant union meetings and stress of applying for new jobs that I worked in, on Epic for two years as an NP, and this organization still finds me disposable. The NPs in my department are, are praised for five years of dedication to AHS, but AHS can't even function enough to find a new place for them in the organization. Frankly, the hardest part is that you just don't care about patients or the mid-levels like me or this service at all. So thank you for the last 13 months. Goodbye. Thank you. I'm sorry we're losing you. Um, I have Toby Marr, Melissa Chubbuck, and Arnold Brillinger. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Toby Maurer, and I am the lead in dermatology and work with Olivia, who just spoke. Indulge me for a moment while I give a historic tour a little bit of uh, dermatology in the past. Uh, this county did not have a dermatology service for over 50 years. Uh, there was a same-day clinic which saw very few patients. Very few of the dermatologists in the East Bay area uh, were open to even seeing the population of patients, uh, your population of patients. And this organization could not recruit a dermatologist for over the 30 years that I have been working in dermatology in the Bay Area. UCSF was asked to step in and help at Eastmont Hayward about seven years ago. At that point, there were over 2,000 patients who had waited over a year to be seen in dermatology. Our goal there was to start a teledermatology program by which we would triage patients in to be seen by their primary care physicians and provide some on the boots, on the ground dermatology service as well. Unfortunately, the primary care physicians at Eastmont Hayward were overwhelmed and refused to work just with the telederm and the dermatologist on the ground. And therefore, the nurse practitioners were born in an effort to act as primary care physicians, follow up meticulously on their patients and their patient care, and also to provide 
side-by-side -side service with the dermatologist on the ground. This has been a smashing success, such that we were asked to do the same at Highland about a year and a half ago. And again, with this, we did provide the service to Highland, Eastmont, and Hayward. Again, reducing the wait time, hitting all the markers that we look for in terms of productivity. In April, we were told that there was a fiscal problem at AHS and that there were difficulties. Now, full disclosure, I'm a Canadian, so I'm going to just borrow some words from my Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who, when speaking about tariffs, said he was a bit insulted by your president. Uh, I, too, was a bit insulted when we did try, as a group and as individuals, and Patrick Unamori and I, try to speak to leadership in an effort to provide transition, to work with the budget that you do have, uh, and we were basically stonewalled through this whole process. However, I was completely offended when leadership turned to me and to Patrick Unamori and said the following, we are in fiscal crisis, we will eliminate your nurse practitioners and you are not our priority. Hypertension and colonoscopy are our priorities. I want to say that that to me, elimination of the nurse practitioners, these are not widgets to be discarded. They need to be recognized for the great service that they have provided and that they continue to provide throughout primary care, throughout the specialties. Dermatology, in addition, is not a low priority situation in this county or any county. I will now speak as the Chief of Service at San Francisco General for the last 25 years and the Vice Chair of UCSF Dermatology Department when I tell you that the patients that you have in this county who have dermatologic problems are not for the faint of heart. They are very seriously ill patients. We're not talking about skin exams or skin tags here. These are very sick patients who deserve decent care and the highest standard of care. Thankfully, that bar has been raised and does exist. In closing, I want to take a moment to thank AHS because you have helped us develop an outstanding and innovative delivery uh, of care system for dermatology, which your neighbors in all the other counties are using. So I thank you for that. And I want to let you know that your neighbors will be monitoring the situation here and we want to offer our help as your neighbors. Should you need to get some advice, should you need to hear from us to help you set that bar as high as it can go to make dermatology the priority that it deserves to be and that I hope it will be as you figure out your financial situation. I want to take a moment to publicly thank our nurse practitioners, to thank all of you, and to wish leadership the best of luck.
Thank you. Hi, I'm Melissa Chubbuck. I'm an internal medicine resident. Um, first, let me just voice support for all my colleagues who've spoken before me. I think that um, we all see the results of their concerns on the medicine services. Um, I am here to talk a little bit about LGBT health in our system. Today is the 49th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. And um, what I think not everybody appreciates about that uh, is, you know, not only was it the beginning of the modern uh, gay rights movement, but it actually was uh, really started by people who were like our patients. It was people who were people of color, it was people who were homeless, it was people who were the most marginalized people in society who were able to make a tremendous difference. Um, these same populations are still the marginalized populations who are disproportionately affected by homophobia. Uh, the HIV infection rates in our uh, county are alarming and very much disproportionately affect people of color. Um, young African-American gay men and transgender women especially. Um, my experience with my patients, and I think that a lot of the experience um, nationwide is that people who come from communities of color, people who come from immigrant communities are still disproportionately facing discrimination within their own communities. And these are, again, our patients. Um, I have seen young gay men die alone in this hospital because they did not feel that they could tell their family members that they have AIDS because it's associated with homosexuality. So just to put that into context, our patients, as you know, don't have a lot of other options for receiving health care. And I want you to know that anecdotally, we are not seen as an LGBT-friendly um, facility in this community. Um, there's actually a nationwide set of benchmarks set by the Human Rights um, Campaign called the Health Care Equality Index. It recognizes LGBT-friendly health care facilities. Um, Highland's one of the only major facilities in the Bay Area that is not recognized. Uh, UCSF, Kaiser, Sutter, and Eden, and John Muir are all recognized as leaders. Um, the, the bar set by these benchmarks is actually very achievable, and we're already making progress. Um, and I have good news for you. I'm not really asking you for money or a lot of other logistical support. Really, I'm asking you for philosophical support. Um, the, what we need to have are anti-discrimination policies which comply with California state law. We need some training for our staff about LGBTQ healthcare. Um, they're relatively simple things that we should be doing anyway. I want to thank John Chapman for already helping me work towards these goals. Um, he and I agree that regardless of HEI participation, they're important for our patients. Um, what I really hear, I'm, I'm here asking you as a physician at Highland, I'm here asking you as a part participant in the Social Justice Committee here at Highland, and also as a member of the Oakland LGBT community, um, to make this hospital better at supporting our LGBT patients. And really, I think that participation in the um, HEI is a great place to start. Thanks. Thank you. Unlike the other speakers here, I'm not an employee. I'm a resident at Park Ridge. Most of you know me. My name is Arnold Berlinger, and I've been with the AHS family for over six years. And I know that, well, I didn't realize that there were going to be this many public speakers 
and to see that some of the problems that they see are also happening in, in, uh, in nursing facilities. So I'm not going to, to dwell on that any longer. I do want to welcome Richard Espinosa back and into our family. And uh, thank you, Richard, for coming back. And I've got a sign on the back of me, like all the other times I've got signs. And uh, this may be a useful thing to end this with. It says, your life is a garden. The thoughts are, or your thoughts are the seeds. If your life isn't awesome, you can water the weeds. And maybe if we put AHS in there instead of the word life, maybe that has something to do with it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I believe that concludes our public speakers for open comment. Um, I just want to say we covered a lot of ground. I can't speak to any issue specifically because this is public comment and that's the way the Brown Act works. Uh, but I just do want to acknowledge as a group that we do value our employees and, and all of the work that you do that is amazing. And we do take what you say seriously and we'll be doing some internal follow-up on several of the issues that were raised. So thank you very much for bringing this all to our attention. I do hope you have a good evening. session. Uh, I want to say that um, uh, we've been uh, successful in, um, in finding funding through various uh, and sundry sources for uh, some uh, wellness resources for our practitioners. We're very excited that that should be launching in the next couple weeks. Um, in addition, we've had a, a number of other discussions about uh, leadership training for the medical staff uh, and the medical staff leaders uh, through the Leadership Academy. Sources. Uh, we're going to do a medical staff retreat uh, in mid-October um, at Alameda Hospital, um, to which uh, all board members are invited. Yeah. Uh, and then it'll be a med-exec retreat for all of the MECs from all three hospitals. Um, and again, just learning about medical leadership and the topics that affect uh, the medical staff. Um, other than that, uh, there are no other major issues. We've been talking about the, the surge red uh, criteria. Um, um, I have uh, nothing really much to add that was uh, already discussed in TPSC, uh, maybe except that we're uh, still continuing to um, revise our bylaws and our goal is to have it um, completed by uh, September.
couple of items. First of all, um, as many of you, anyone who's at finance knows, uh, we've had uh, Trustee Thompson has resigned from the board, so we have a new opening. Uh, and this is at a time when our ad hoc committee was already uh, meeting and developing uh, uh, recommendations to fill Trustee uh, Lawrence's uh, upcoming vacancy that we're going to about. So uh, I would like to uh, uh, modify the existing ad hoc committee uh, to fill the vacancy created by Trustee Thompson. Uh, we, he was on the ad hoc committee, so I need another member to join uh, our, 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 uh, our first two members. And uh, so I'm looking for a volunteer. Uh, I don't think this will be a big job because I think there are some valid, uh, qualified applicants available uh, to, to reconsider. Uh, you know, I'd be happy to, but I do have some scheduling challenges. So to the extent that we can try to get the scheduling to kind of work with some of my unfortunate travel issues, then I'd be happy to. Well, I'll ask your other the current committee members. Can you guys handle that? We work around your yes. schedule. Yes, yeah. we can yeah. do that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Mike, do I need a I'll motion? Uh, <laughs> do I need a motion for this, or yeah. do I just do it? Okay. So there we go. It's done. Um, so uh, I, I entrust the committee to uh, continue on with your work, and we'll, we'll touch on some more of that in a moment. Um, also, uh, we need a new finance committee chair uh, based on Trustee uh, uh, Thompson's departure, and I have asked. Uh, Trustee Ashley Quinn to do it, and he is accepted. And so I am uh, announcing that uh, right now. And do that, Mike. Do I need a motion for that? I don't. Okay. I just always like to check with you too. Oh, sorry. So, no, that's okay. You're you've been you did this for two years, so I should probably ask you beforehand. Um, uh, <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> so I. Uh, I don't have a whole lot else to report, except that I really uh, had the pleasure to briefly stop by uh, the mixer uh, for the new interns for Highland. And uh, it was just an amazing, uh, I went by, it was at the uh, Drake's uh, Brewery or dealership, yeah. the dealership, a yeah, former auto body shop in uptown. Um, how exciting to see these new doctors that are just, um, you know, uh, bursting energy and joy and way smarter than I ever was or will be. Um, and uh, really, they all seem really, the ones that I talked to were dedicated to the mission. Uh, I thought that was really, really stellar. And so it was just a great, great experience. I wish I could have stayed longer, but I had somewhere else to be. Uh, and with that, I will move on to our CEO report, unless anyone had any questions for me. Oh, I'm sorry. No, thank you, sir. Um, I do have uh, to say one thing. I am not going to pass any resolutions or do anything fancy, um, but I am going to give a little swag uh, to Trustee Lawrence from... Uh, no swag, I like swag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no resolution. There's no shame. You can tell people who don't know, we, we were kicking up doing a, a resolution uh, because she's leading us and she has served such a dedicated... Um, uh, during tough times, uh, she really helped bring this board together. She reshaped this board. She helped us find our new CEO. Um, really has taught us all many lessons and, and schooled us, I should say. Um, and uh, yet, we thought about doing a resolution, and um, she found out and um, said that she wouldn't come to the meeting if we did because she's so humble. And so, um, 
you don't get a resolution, but you really have a, a warm place in all of our hearts, and I'm just going to so miss you uh, sitting here in this room. So I will be calling you constantly uh, for advice and guidance. So you'll be our, our ghost board member, um, even though you're not going to be in the room. And I, I really, really mean that. If others want to share anything as well, I, I take that time to do that right now. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, I've made a great many friends here. Um, and even the kitchen staff in our cafeteria. I've got some promises to come over and do some cooking for me. So I've made a lot of friends. But more than anything, I walk away with a great deal of respect for the staff and medical staff and our administrative staff, all, all the individuals who work in this hospital who serve our community. It, it really is awe-inspiring, and I am very honored to have been a part of this group. I, just, I will carry this with me for a long time. Thank you. Thank you. We said a lot in QPSC. Oh, and, did you? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll go on. Uh, Michelle's been an inspiration for me. I've known her for, I don't know, seven or eight years, and uh, watching her passion for inquiry uh, in the service of good, uh, in the service of knowledge, in the service of why, has been nothing but helpful for this organization. We will be missing your voice will be missed. Thank you. Thank you for bringing a whole new tenor uh, to the board when you assume leadership and uh, and really focusing on the process and asking those probing questions every single time. We've learned so much from you, and it would be impossible to put this question. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And thank you for so many really goofy, wacky stories. Which I could never repeat, because only you could get away with it. So. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, I think, it's, I think you're up now. Well, since I have the mic, um, I, I won't say that much because I know you would prefer uh, more, more private, uh, discussion, but I would be remiss if I didn't have my voice to, to uh, my voice of gratitude and thanks to you for everything you've done for me, including actually being here uh, in support of the, the team and the appreciation of the work that we do. Uh, it's been immensely uh, helpful and inspirational. And I'll say more later because I know you want to see the bond. I appreciate that as well. So uh, when I noticed that we sent you over 300 pages in your agenda packet, I thought I can't I can't torture you anymore. Uh, that would not be wrong, uh, fair. So I tried to make this uh, somewhat succinct and uh, uh, a little bit upbeat as well. So I'll try to move through this as quickly as possible. But obviously, uh, please stop me if you have any questions or I'm happy to take some of so uh, uh, usually updates, system updates, dashboard, and then uh, um, obviously uh, Epic as a key and makes sure that uh, your project has agreed to do. Uh, dashboard, you've seen this. Uh, this is, uh, you have it. Uh, uh, not, nothing to really call out uh, this month except uh, for the first time, uh, our specialty no-show rate actually hit the target for the month. Uh, I want to really give kudos to the ambulatory leadership team as well as obviously our providers and our staff. Uh, for their work to really get um, uh, improve our processes, uh, support our patients, and uh, get uh, provide the visits that they uh, need, and make sure that we're uh, uh, valuing the resources that we have. Uh, in all likelihood, uh, for both of those no-show rates, we've been 
within two uh, percent of the target, but below it uh, for the bulk of the year. And so, in all likelihood, we'll, that's where we'll end uh, the year. But obviously, uh, we'll continue to. Uh, uh, implement and leverage a lot of great work that's been done over the course of this year to uh, really change the trajectory of uh, the, the operations on the uh, inventory uh, program. So I uh, just wanted to call that one out. Uh, any other questions about any of this? I'm happy to maintain uh, as, as I wrap up now. So you get a lot of the narrative uh, behind this in the, in the middle as well. Okay, uh, system updates. So I just wanted to call this out. So uh, actually, uh, uh, two events we did this past weekend. So this one was uh, World Refugee Day, it was March, uh, June 23rd. And our uh, refugee clinic participated in this event where uh, we really were uh, highlighting the work that we do to serve our uh, uh, immigrant population, particularly in these times when we know everything that's happening uh, in our country uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks has really devastating to a lot of families and to uh, uh, people both uh, in the immigrant community but immigrant people who care and uh, have a deep in the body respect the humanity in general. And so uh, we want to uh, always acknowledge the work that we do and really reinforce our, our message of, of serving all. And so um, this is sort of a dual uh, message. It's both to acknowledge the work that our refugee clinic did for a world or a refugee day, but also we started a new uh, uh, um, sort of campaign, uh, and this campaign is very low scale, but very high quality, uh, low budget, but a high quality. Uh, and you'll see some of the images that will be all around our facilities, uh, and they're, uh, a couple of them will reflect here. It's really underscoring both for our, our community that basically serve, as well as our workforce, that uh, we serve all, we care for all, we teach all, and uh, I think we're really just trying to make sure that we own that and make sure uh, no one can uh, be uh, concerned about in these perilous times. Uh, your, this board and just organization's commitment to our mission. So, so we're doing that. We uh, have done a couple of social media posts uh, recognizing the importance of um, families and uh, taking care of kids and keeping kids with their parents. And I want to thank um, um, Trustee Hernandez for uh, her uh, leadership and work in that effort. And then the board is going to do some other stuff today. So wanted to call to attention to that as well. Uh, Safe Kids Day, we participated in, in partnership with the county. Uh, uh, this was an event that several hundred families and 500 individuals participated in. Uh, we provided a lot of car seats and a lot of uh, safety instructions. The woman in the bright yellow there is our trauma uh, coordinator, Stephanie Capilanis. Uh, uh, she was measuring the kid at the top there and then uh, properly uh, fitting her for a, um, a, uh, seat, a car seat. And I love this because uh, it is not without incident that as I have a growing daughter, she has been walking through the parking garage and will send me an email about uh, the fact that my car seat is not like appropriately attached or is in the wrong part of the back seat. Uh, uh, and, and she keeps me honest. And she refers to herself as a trauma drama mama. Uh, uh, she raised two boys and so she's she's always offering, she cares a lot. She offers great advice and uh, not just to the people who come to our doors, but uh, to the broader community and obviously more of our staff supported the event as well. Uh, this is a foundation gala and some of your lovely faces and I really wanted to take the opportunity on behalf of the foundation and the foundation board to, uh, to thank many of you who couldn't make it. Some of you were a little bit more elusive from the photographer, so if you don't see yourself there, it's because you successfully avoided the photographer I'm imagining. Uh, a few who shall not be named. Uh, but I did want to recognize too, obviously, our honoree, our, our, our community hero honoree, uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who was just amazing. and. Uh, I really want to recognize the foundation board and the Gala committee. Um, uh, no nepotism here, but um, 
my wife was one of the co-chairs, and so uh, thank them for their service. This was one of our most uh, successful uh, galas uh, in terms of attendance, and we uh, hit an unrisen goal or a new record of raising over a half a million dollars in this event, alone, which obviously goes into support of the programs and services that we offer here in the health system. So I really wanted to uh, say on behalf of our foundation board and our president, uh, Deborah Barnes, really thanking all of you uh, for your continued support. And just in case anybody was planning on uh, bribing me with some uh, otherwise uh, problematic pictures, <laughs> I just want to make sure you know that this was after the gala and not in any sort of CD place. Uh, this was the after party, and uh, I apparently was in the party in Wuhan. So, um, uh, that was that. <laughs> I can't be bribed uh, for that. I'm, I'm, I'm owning that. <laughs> At least I think so. Um, uh, epic. So I'll run through, as you uh, see, we're continuing to update as we do. So we're in the second stage, what is called phase one. And it's a uh, direction setting. And so uh, we're, we're in the middle. And I'll uh, give some more details of the narrative uh, that you can't see there that we uh, uh, impose onto some future slides uh, on uh, where we are in the process and the things we're doing. As always, I want to share with you EPIC's independent assessment of where we are. Uh, we continue to be four out of five uh, satisfactory performance as of the May update. Uh, and at the bottom, again, no issues uh, uh, meeting uh, extraordinary executive attention at this time. Uh, some of the accomplishments of the projects on track uh, uh, in terms of the milestones and favorable to budget. Uh, project team is almost at 100%. Uh, uh, we have a few uh, outliers here, a little bit tougher to feel, but we're continuing our efforts uh, here just a handful of positions. Uh, the project team that is on board is really tracking well. Uh, 60 of the team members have gone to training. Uh, 30 plus individuals now have at least one or more certifications uh, that are pertinent to uh, the work that we're doing in our particular project and a total of 51 certifications of, as of June 26. Uh, some of those are people who we uh, recently acquired who, or hired who are already EPIC uh, certified in addition to obviously a lot of the people who uh, we have hired who have gone to training and have also, also certifications. So project moves forward. Uh, direction setting events. These have been very massive events and I really want to take an opportunity to thank uh, not just our uh, EPIC team who's uh, helping to lead this, but all of our providers and all of our staff have been participating uh, in such a concerted fashion that help us to inform uh, the future state. Uh, these events are called direction uh, setting sessions. We basically set up shop at Berkeley City College. It's sort of been their satellite campus for us now because they have the conference space and it's a uh, uh, very uh, economic, uh, economical for us to use them, and they've been uh, available for that purpose. But we've had hundreds of uh, providers, nurses, staff, or uh, physicians, uh, clinical employees, uh, uh, IT employees, finance employees, all across the board, really helping us to do current state, future state uh, planning. You can see for the first set that happened in the early part of the month, we had uh, over 75 sessions that, that included uh, 317 individuals. Those are individual people. Many of uh, those individuals had to attend multiple settings uh, based off of whatever area they work in and the modality that we're reviewing. And so you can see day by day how many people participated for a total of and, uh, participants of 681 for the first one. The second one ended today. Uh, over 700 people participated, or 700 uh, individual sessions, uh, 350 individuals, uh, for 70, over 63 total sessions. And you can see some of the uh, different modalities or clinical indicators or operating indicators we were uh, uh, looking at, and that's just a short list. Uh, we have one more round of uh, direction setting that comes up in late July. Uh, it will be 75 sessions, and you can see some of the areas that we'll uh, 
I'll continue to look at there. Uh, our naming contest continues. I'm a little hesitant to mention this, and we had, uh, I don't know how many uh, suggested uh, names for the EHR. Um, I will publicly say I didn't like any of them. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm a little uh, I'm, I'm sad that uh, I, I, I started this. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm just, I don't know where this is going to go. So, uh, we'll be talking to the Oversight Committee and then working with our staff. But I appreciate the engagement. Um, <laughs> just made by the creativity. Uh, so, but I'll move on. Uh, we have advisory councils and our data conversion work groups that will also get uh, started up in, in uh, July as well. Uh, phase two, so remember that bar will get to the third bucket, but the second phase, uh, which goes from August to the end of the calendar year. Uh, and you can see just uh, a bunch of the uh, sort of uh, key events that will happen there. A lot of that is the, what we call the, uh, the build phase or the adoption phase. And so we'll be taking all the learning we're having from the directed setting, some of our current state, future state work, and really taking that foundation model and only making adjustments where it's clinically uh, or operationally uh, um, uh, appropriate to do so, so that we have one consistent bill for the entire of the organization that matches the needs that we will provide uh, for our organization and make it, makes it work for us. That will happen over the course of December, or over the next couple of months. Uh, my general counsel, ever uh, uh, consultative and, and great advice he offers. Uh, uh, we, uh, we should extend an invite. If you all are ever interested in just sort of sitting in on one of these sessions or at least coming to a part of it and just kind of seeing the engagement just so you can kind of put your eyes and ears or you know, uh, feel it more, you know, you'll be more than welcome to come. We can, we can probably help you to pick some of the ones that make a little bit more sense uh, in terms of helping you get a good sense of it. Uh, uh, but, but if you're interested, we can work with Ron and just let us know. Michelle, you want to rethink it? <laughs> it's Berkeley, you can walk over. Uh, this is the budget. So, it just again, we give you a high level uh, of budget that's associated with the project $12 million. We started late, but we're well within our budget. Uh, um, we spent just under $6 million, and uh, another half of it is available for the remainder of the fiscal year. Obviously, we're not spend all of that so we're, we're, we're uh, lagging uh, but, but well within our budget and uh, nothing uh, nothing has come up on a contingent basis yet that, that alters any of this. Just want to always keep your project that as well. Uh, the county agreement. Uh, um, I just had a quick question. Yes, With those big sessions you had where you had a few hundred people, I assume those were people system-wide, right? Oh, yeah, they're all system-wide, yeah, absolutely. And, and so I, I'm just curious if there's a great chance to you know, bond with your coworkers from other facilities you might not already know. So I will, uh, well, I can answer yeah, I was going to say, I'll invite yeah. other people. I'll tell you uh, my own uh, visual, because I've been to some of them, is absolutely. I mean, I, I remember just being in the one that was on EV admissions and seeing the San Leandro, Alameda, and Highland people all talking about kind of current state, what we do, and then uh, working together to look at the foundation model, which has sort of a set foundation and saying, how do we need to alter this, that, which then draws that type of uh, alignment for what the future state will look like that serves all of our needs. So uh, absolutely, I can attest to it, but I'd love to have uh, uh, you know, uh, exactly what it said. I mean, just uh, it was very interesting to meet, for example, respiratory therapist yesterday from San Leandro, 
and I know I have run many, many times, but I never went into the PFT lab and looked at the workflow. Same thing, uh, meeting uh, nurses from uh, the emergency department of three uh, hospitals at the same time. So it, it, it brought us together very much. At, 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 Uh, so the county agreement, so uh, as you recall, uh, we have to work with the county for the uh, Board of Supervisors uh, approval to use the, uh, the strategic reserves to come up with an agreement. And this agreement uh, uh, that I'm referencing here is but one part of the overall uh, uh, structure of things that, we, uh, that were uh, um, added as commitments to the organization uh, to, to uh, use the strategic reserves. Uh, this is sort of the, the, the more in-depth uh, uh, item to work through. Uh, we did not get the June 30th goal, but we've been working, uh, I think, quite collaboratively with the county to get this done, and so it'll come to you in July, but I wanted to just give you a little bit of a heads up of what's included in the agreement, uh, and then the other elements of it you'll see as well. But for now, the agreement itself uh, uh, does a couple of things. One, it confirms that all capital cost reimbursement for county-owned assets uh, uh, will be remitted to the county uh, from AHS as we get them in uh, uh, this year and subsequent years. Uh, we talked about the methodology and the timing for determining what that specific amount is and then uh, uh, authorizing that payment back to the county. Uh, we have confirmation that the funds will be used to maintain county-owned facilities and assets that are operated by the AHS, so it keeps it within the uh, healthcare space of which there are probably uh, uh, in, in excess amount of needs to support uh, some of the uh, uh, maintenance needs and uh, uh, structures and sort of so uh, other than obviously power, which is uh, on the other side, but uh, Fairmont and uh, to some extent John George, or mainly Fairmont, and, and perhaps some uh, uh, other areas that we have to work on uh, uh, together. Uh, finally, there's an agreement to develop a procedure for how those requests will be made both for routine and emergent uh, needs as they, as they arise. And as I mentioned, we'll uh, bring the agreement to you in July. Uh, the other elements are things that uh, were uh, tied to the uh, the finances as well as the EHR project. So making sure that we stay in compliance with the permit agreement, that we can uh, get evidence or uh, ask him, uh, affirmation from the county that that has occurred, uh, that we have deposited the strategic reserves of which we would then turn around and uh, 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 take out to support the project. Uh, there were some milestones uh, and some reporting requirements similar to what we do with you, so the epic pieces uh, their report that I share with you all as well, as well as uh, one or two other things that I'll share with you in the future. And with that, that's all I have. I'm happy to answer any questions of this or anything else. Trustees, any questions? Oh. oh, yes. Do we lease those county facilities that we're required to? Is that how it works? What, what's there, the so, so there is a leasing uh, uh, agreement uh, between us that needs to be updated for all the county-owned facilities, so John George Island and Fairmont. Um, uh, the lease, uh, from a financial perspective, is is, is non-existent. That is one model. It's a common model that uh, happens in public entities when you have a, a, a also a public entity that's using a space, uh, but it's really to define the terms under which you would what, what business purposes are you using it for, and then how you would actually uh, deploy your activities in that sense. Who's responsible for routine facility maintenance versus capital needs, those sorts of things. So is it all on AHS for every one of the facilities that are county on? When you say all is meaning? I mean, yeah, the, whole, the whole responsibility of, of 
of maintenance, deterioration, uh, the uh, I think I, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of the agreement, but I think that part of the leasing agreement actually is that um, the county provides some of the um, maintenance. Is it all external? Are, are there some elements that the yes. county even pay GSA for, for some sort of maintenance for some of the facilities? I thought that was the case. Maybe no, no, we, we provide GSA. We, we pay GSA for certain services that, that we procure from them, right. such as vehicles, transportation, things like that. But as it relates to building maintenance under the current agreement, it's the responsibility of the HS. And, and, and again, this is the agreement that's still being worked on and developed. Right. So the lease is, is uh, I, I think it's out of date right now. Yes. Uh, and, and it's it's overdue to be uh, uh, redone, but I think it's, it's sort of it's become a little bit political and it's been tied up in some of these uh, elements that hopefully once we get this, you know, some of the pieces are about this capital cost and how that gets adjudicated. And now that, that we're, we're having a live and on that, I think we'll be able to move forward with uh, revising the lease and talking about kind of how these things will get uh, vetted and then an opportunity for us. Uh, I didn't say uh, what I wrote notes for, uh, but I did want to just call, I know it's a huge agenda packet, but I really want to call attention to uh, the latter pages of the agenda where Terry and his team put together the community engagement report showing the really uh, incredible work that staff is doing and how that uh, extends beyond the walls of the organizations but into the community as well. Uh, and then obviously some legislative updates which are really important and I'll state uh, mostly state and there may be some federal thing there as well and then kind of the calendar things coming up that, that I have been done and that are coming up, which uh, are subject to your interest and uh, I really don't know what you're going to have to do this. Can I have any other questions? No? Okay, we're on our consent agenda um, and I'll, I'll take a motion if I can get one. Motion approved. Second. All right, any discussion? All in favor? Aye. 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 All right. Um, before we move to um, staff reports, I actually want to switch the agenda around. We have some uh, very patient uh, audience members who I think want to talk about an item under item F. So I'm going to take a little executive privilege and switch F and E around um, so that we can uh, get to these items. I hope that's all right, folks. Um, because we have to stay here all night, but that doesn't mean everybody else has to. Um, so uh, we're going to move on to item F, and item F1 is the approval of the ad hoc committee recommendation uh, to submit candidates to the Board of Supervisors for consideration. Um, uh, Kenny, I'll turn it over to you. I do have a quick note that we have to rank our two people that we forward to the Board of Supervisors. That was made clear by the Board, um, and so I want to make that minor adjustment, but um, take it away. Well, um, I, I will not rank our, uh, our, um, our candidates. Um, so, but I will say that we got 10 terrific uh, applications and uh, Trustee Thompson Rocket and I uh, shortlisted and met with five and we had a panel interview with each of them. And uh, we were looking for folks who had very deep knowledge of healthcare administration, financing, different models of you know, physician um, and other kinds of, and, and a good grounding in population conference we were doing. So we had, you know, outstanding um, applicants, but at the end we are delighted to recommend that uh, Dr. Noha Abulara, who is the CEO 
of Roots Community Clinic, and Dr. Mark Finch, who is um, also a physician, um, has worked in um, in a number of different uh, places and roles as CMO, as uh, other <coughs> administrative roles as well, and now is an independent consultant in the East Bay that we uh, nominate them uh, to the uh, Board of Supervisors for consideration. And what we felt after speaking to a lot was that given the time that we are in and looking at the redesign that we're going through, that we really wanted to get perspectives of forward-thinking position leaders. We are getting position leaders ourselves, um, and but many of them are new um, within, within AHS. But having veteran leaders, that's a rare breed of position leaders who had expertise in population health management and delivery, integrated medical management teams, and a very deep commitment to uh, clinical quality, and as well as a deep knowledge of operations as well as what we were looking for. So I'd ask uh, Trustee Wooten if you had any other insights to I, I, I can't say it better than that, Trustee Wooten. I think that was well stated and we're, we're, we were impressed with the depth of the pool of candidates. And, uh, we're happy to put forth both these things. I do not want to rank them because I feel like if you what's the point of ranking them, We've had two ranks uh, asking the county to uh, give two names and then saying somebody is first and somebody is second is just not like we'd be happy with whoever the county decides. It's not, it's disrespectful, I think, to the two finalists when there's one position and you kind of stack the decks and say this is who we'd really like. Well, um Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we invite, we really invite the health committee folks to speak with each one of them, um, and you know, get your own insights into them. Either one of them would be really good. Well, I, I, I can't force the two members of the ad hoc committee to, to rank them, so I don't think the rest of us can either. And, and I, we'll, we'll all respect your your wishes. Pass that on to Supervisor Chen. Sorry, um, but um, uh, I also think there's an issue. We have a unique situation in that we will be recruiting another board member. But I do think that the ad hoc committee needs to rethink it. So I, I don't think it's an automatic recommendation because we're trying to create a balance of the well straightforward. There may be other uh, uh, perspectives that you're going to be considering at this point. So um, with that. Yeah, to and reiterate, these two names of the board are for one. Thank you. One yeah, single I, yeah, I want to reiterate, these two yeah. candidates are for one. One single. Right. So right. we'll begin the search for, um, for, new for the new position after that. This is two, we, we are mandated to put two for the first in each position. Right. And so will we consider the others that remain for the next two? Yes. The next yeah, that was the point of extending the ad hoc committee was not to reinvent the wheel. We have great applicants. Others may fit what we're looking for next. At that time, yes. Yeah, and so we wanted to keep it somewhat clean, but but also recognize the balance. This is church. So I want to respect the the intent behind not wanting to rank, but I I do want to say something about. Uh, 
the importance, I think, uh, of being intentional around diversity uh, of this board. And uh, I don't know if that, uh, in their photographs, other information to determine uh, specific backgrounds of folks, but I wonder if that uh, matters here. I just think it's one of trustee that they, given the populations that we serve, it's very important to very intentional about uh, the diversity of this. We were very fortunate that both of the um, finalists that we recommend are underrepresented are African American. Both physician leaders were <coughs> either which ways we can very and and so we did put uh, emphasis on that, but we uh, wanted to like the qualifications were something that really stood out. Uh, so it was deeply considered. If there are no other uh, uh, comments or questions, I'll entertain a motion. So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Great. Um, Thanks to the committee for that report. That's all. Uh, Tony, is this a long one? Item two. Item two. Approval of the resolution approving 401. Do you have much to say about it? No. Okay. I'll entertain a motion. So I, I, we did the. I had a question. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's just I, I want to clarify that there. This is much more of a philosophical support of our uh, employee <coughs> organization, the way they organize themselves, and there isn't a. This is the right item. No. Uh, we're on the we're on the 401k uh, item. Sorry, that's okay. That's okay. okay. I'll wait for those comments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I will entertain a motion on F2. I I, I move accept this. Okay. okay. All right. Could have went on for another five minutes. We're on action items F2. Is the, is the oh, oh, it's page four out of three hundred eighty-seven. No, but that's just the agenda. Oh, I'm Being sorry. The I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 I, just, I think uh, it's like maybe it's Uh, 
uh, is, is like a fundamental, important right in America. We have our unions to thank for the two-day weekend. Um, we have them to thank for safe work environments uh, for eight-hour days. Um, many of the things that we take for granted that other uh, workers in other countries don't have uh, are because we have uh, a good uh, you know, ability to organize. Um, in the past, uh, union organizers have been put down and shot and killed by the National Guard in, you know, decades ago. Thankfully, we're not at that point right now. Um, but the uh, undermining of the ability of workers to organize themselves by certain powers in our country that are currently in power is really deeply disturbing. Um, we don't always get along, or we don't always agree uh, when we're negotiating uh, with our, with our, our unions, um, but we, we cherish the fact that we have them to work with. Um, and that we respect that, that work. And so um, I uh, personally felt it was, it was important to bring this forward and the state our board's commitment uh, to working with our, our labor organizations uh, you know, fully and thoroughly. Uh, I want to thank the California Nurses Association for bringing forward a model resolution. We did, we did modify it a bit, uh, and I think they were kind enough to accept some of my edits. Um, I do have a few public speakers uh, on this item. Uh, I could bring them up now, but if other board members wanted to speak first, you can. Uh, That's kind of where I was going. You go for it. Go for it. Yeah, you I'll try to summarize. Right. I, I simply wanted to make sure that uh, that I understood the resolution correctly. Uh, that there isn't actually this. This is a philosophical statement of strong support for our union partners. It's not. There isn't a particular action buried within this that determines how we're going to. Have conversation. That was my sense of it. I just want to clarify that. Well, I actually, I, I think it's more than philosophical. I, I think that it's important to note that we are not, as an organization, interested in participating in union busting activities. That some organizations are interested in, in, uh, in, in embarking on. Um, we've heard reports of organizations um, that. Um, are going after employee organizations. They're, they're uh, receiving information about employees. Public information we have to disclose, but any information that we don't have to disclose, we won't. And I think it's, it's we're committed to not um, uh, seeing that type of activity that undermines their ability to organize themselves. Uh, and that's, that's critical. And I'm completely in favor of that. My only concern is taking, you know, voting on an action that I don't understand. So I, I want to make sure that we're, there's not an implication. And I noted that you know the language came from one of our union partners, um, which is a common practice now in our legislative world, which I really don't like. We need to have independence. Okay. Um, and I, I, but again, I, I don't want to make. I don't think it seems to be a big deal. I just want to clarify that by taking this action, um, the board of trustees is not. Making some commitment that is between the lines. I don't think we are, uh, and I'll, I'll certainly <coughs> ask if, uh, if our council wants Maybe to, council to, give some sense. to speak to it a little bit. Well, no, the, the resolution, well, one, I think the resolution speaks for itself, and I think that the resolution is quite clear is that it is addressing uh, what was at that time the anticipated. Uh, decision in uh, Janice we asked it. And we basically articulated a couple of things that they uh, saw a commitment from our board uh, 
and those commitments you know, generally will correspond to uh, obligations or so forth in Senate Bill 866, which actually signed the law yesterday, um, and a provision of law that was signed in, or provision of California law that was signed last year uh, regarding interacting between employers and employees specifically in the context of new employment organizations. And so all of those uh, commitments there uh, are entirely reasonable things that we already do and are part of our practice. And so from that standpoint, there is nothing that we saw as being objectionable in terms of Thank you. That's enough. Oh, okay. Yes. Mr. Burnett. So the I want us to be on the watch for opportunities like this to give voice to the opposition what's happening in D.C. Um, I think that we're going to likely need to have resolutions like this come before us to make a very clear statement to the community that we do not believe in separating children from their families, that we do not believe in taking away the rights of LGBTQ, that we do not believe in university, that we do not believe in being bullies, and all of the things that are happening now. So I, I personally think we need to be calm very vigilant to, to use whatever power we have on this board to make those kinds of statements. Otherwise, I think we're failing at health equity. This is about health equity. This is about running an organization in ways that we can all look in the mirror and say we've done what's right. And I have not forgotten that in order to sit at this table, we all took oath and we said we would defend the Constitution. And this is a very clear example of people eroding those rights. So I hope we're very courageous and that we're vigilant and that we keep this up. And again, I, I just feel that given all of that, that, that the current tenor of our country is that we take this stance, like being silent at this time is not an option. We have to be much more open and uh, explicit about what we our values that we stand for. And so this resolution in support of union, yes, <coughs> collective bargaining has helped create the middle class, has created economic, social, and racial justice in this country. And so um, as much as uh, in the specifics, we might that this is uh, as important to our democracy that we can have. I think, Maria, you said it very eloquently, and I very much appreciate the stance. Um, I have no difficulty with the philosophy and the premise. I, however, language is important to me, and I think. I need to understand what the intent is in the further result, what that means to the union, and what limitations that imposes. When I see that kind of language, having been at the bargaining table for many years, I'm very cautious. That's not to say that I absolutely believe in collective bargaining. I think it's critical. I think the unions in our organization are vital. I don't have any difficulty, but I want to understand the language so that a board and the administration doesn't get themselves where this is waved in the face because we have done something inadvertently because of the language. So I'd like to understand what the interpretation is of the last paragraph. And, and I'll actually uh, defer to counsel because we 
that was part of the editing and, and the back and forth that we went through with you know uh, with our partners who introduced this to us to make sure that in fact we weren't. Okay, so what is including yeah. limiting access to new employee orientations? If I can Page only <coughs> if I only schedule those on certain days, am I in fact limiting access? Um, there's nuances in here that I I can't support, and I will vote no. But it's not because I am not in favor of our supporting the unions, and for all the reasons that the Supreme I'm just livid about all of this stuff. I just want to make certain that, in the practical sense, we do not get ourselves in a situation that um, hurts the organization. So, so just to be clear, in terms of <clears throat> those specific items that are identified there, um, two of them are actually the subjects of laws that were signed by the California uh, by the governor. Which two, Michael, please? Okay, I'm going to that. I just want to okay. say what they so they were laws that were passed by the legislature, signed by the governor, that were specifically anticipating the decision in Janus. And the first law was actually passed last year when the case first came before the Supreme Court, um, but uh, under the California case. And a provision of each of those laws dealt with new employee orientations and restrictions placed on employers and rights you know, provided to unions to ensure that that process was not being impacted by what was going to happen with the Janus decision. So the uh, specific uh, provision here that uh, relates to new employee orientation you know, comes out of both that law and out of that law that was passed last year and then SB 866, which was just signed by the governor yesterday at the same time the Janus decision went into effect. Um, and then likewise, the um, language at the end uh, that relates to the uh, access to employee information, that was also an amendment to the public, uh, excuse me, public records act, which you know essentially protected the, uh, protected from disclosure information of employees, again, anticipating that as a result of the Janus decision that you would lead to certain activity, um, which indicated the need provide additional protection uh, public employees in their personal information. Uh, the discrimination provision, the impeding uh, enforcement. Mike, Mike, before you go there, since so you're breaking it down, so if I could, so the new employee orientation. You know, I, I am part of a new employee orientation at the city of Oakland every month. And <coughs> when they're in that room and they're getting all their explanation about how local government works and what their benefits are, you have to allow the, their, their labor representatives to come in and then say, and you have a union and, and they, you have an MOU and you can join and do all that. So we want to protect their, their, their ability to do that. And then in regard to the private information, I just think it's, it's critical. If, if, um, if organizations that wish to undermine union activity get the home addresses of our employees and stalk them at home to, to, to to, to uh, lobby them to, to not be involved in their union, it's, it's intimidating. And so, uh, so this is protecting it. So the, I, that's what the I, first, that's I the understand the gestalt. I really am asking about so, the clarity right. of the language. But that's, that's and the, so just that, help me, yeah. um, including limiting access to new employee orientation. So that gives us the right then, I'm assuming, to say this is when our employ new employee orientation is going to be, 
and unions are welcome to be there. But we, uh, Michelle, we're I'm trying to understand yeah, this. Yeah, specific on that, we're required to give them 10 days notice under the legislation, which we do, and we can move orientation whenever we as long as we give them 10 days notice of the location that the orientation will occur. Okay, thank you. That that helps. That's, Sorry, those are the kinds of things that I'm very interested in understanding. It's helpful. Yeah, it's, it's very helpful. Very helpful. It just it clarified that issue. Uh, yeah. So, and discrimination of any kind towards employees, what does that mean? Well, again, that's rather standard law under both labor law and civil rights law is that you cannot take retaliatory action, you cannot harass employees as a result of exercise of their human rights. Uh, that's language which is in Title VII, that's language which is in the National Human Relations Act law, and they're all with California State laws in the country. Uh, okay. So I don't really think creating something which is misunderstood in terms of prohibits us from Tony, do you have any issue with that statement? Well, it's, most of it's covered in the MOUs in addition <coughs> to the law. Okay, and I'm sorry to belabor this. Oh, I no, this is good. No I, labor, I like that. Sorry, thank you. Take your mic. Thank you. I'm fine. Thank you. Okay. But what about the other two? Since we're thank you. Uh, that's all go. Uh, uh, Tony impeding and enforcement of memorandums of understanding. Did any issue with that one? No, it just forces we they follow the contracts that are in place. And last and or providing employee information to outside entities except as required by law. No, I think as Mike said, it's already covered in the law that was signed yesterday by the governor that we can't do that. We're gonna follow so the law. council and CHRO don't seem to have any problems with That's what I needed to know. That's what I need to know. Thank you. Great. Um, I, Can I move approval? Great. Uh, oh, sorry. Second. I want to call up these speakers first. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, Lisa Lefebvre and Carol Parisi. Sorry if I got your name wrong. That's okay. Lisa Lefebvre from San Leandro Hospital, and um, I work in the PACU there, and I really appreciate your comments. Um, just a little background, which you all know, I'm sort of stating the obvious, but for the past three decades after World War II, uh, the United States enjoyed a great prosperity. Um, wages grew in tandem with worker productivity such that those producing the goods were able to afford the goods. They could buy them themselves and thus a middle class was created, never seen before, probably certainly in this country or the likes of the entire world. Uh, and that was directly a result of uh, labor unions and labor organization. Um, however, for the past 30 years, the political right has waged an assault on American workers and on unions themselves. Uh, Robert Reich, uh, one of my personal heroes, has characterized this as the huge rollback of FDR's New Deal. And we're certainly experiencing the outcome of that now, tragically. In 1955, the year I was born, uh, more than a third of American workers were in a union. And today that's dropped to 7%. And as today, as well we know, this organization knows, 
the vast disparity of wealth in this country has widened and widened and widened. Hence, the public population that we serve. And we know how much all of that directly affects healthcare. Uh, yesterday, SCOTUS dealt a huge blow to the working class by allowing employees to opt out of union membership, but yet enjoy all the rights and privileges fought for by the stalwart union members for generations, the ruling attempts to undermine union solidarity. And we stand here before you tonight to reaffirm our firm commitment and uh, vow that such attempts will not threaten our resolve to maintain the benefits of victories uh, hard won, most especially for us, but, excuse me, for us, but most especially for our patients. Uh, we see that every day at work. So we of CNA urge you to pass the resolution in support of the vital role of union workers to collectively advocate for patients in our communities. And prior, during public comment, we heard a whole host of problems. I mean, Houston, we've got a problem here going on. But I believe it can be fixed, and I believe there is the will, the intelligence, and the commitment of this board to fix those issues. And of course, we have a huge philosophical struggle going on in this community, in this country with health care. I mean, we've got this business model for health care that just doesn't fit. We don't produce widgets. We care for human beings. And I find it unconscionable that the cuts are coming to us at the patient point of care, where, where it's needed the most. And that's what unions stand for. That's what union fights for. And we say in CNA, if you want a voice, you got to have a union. And I know you understand that. You wouldn't be here in this organization with this mission statement if you didn't care and understand everything we're talking about. And I thank you very much. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Carol Barazzi. I have been at San Leander Hospital for 31 years. I work in the operating room, so I work closely with Lisa. Um, I just wanted to say, um, as a member of CNA NNU, which is California Nurses Association, National Nurses United, um, that uh, our union is not just a, um, sorry, it's not just a bargaining vehicle, but it's our professional nursing organization. Through our organization, we have fought for patient ratios and, and many other things, and it's for the betterment of patient care. And I like to say, if you think when you get on an airplane and they tell you, you know, if the pressure drops, the mask comes down, put the mask on yourself first and then tend to anyone else that needs help. Well, the mask for us is our contract. It's our oxygen. It allows us to take care of ourselves and enables us to take care of the patients. So we are hoping that you will support this and that you will continue to respect our union and our union rights. Thank you. Thank you. And I also wanted to say, um, uh, I, I, since you're here, um, I know that you suffered a pretty big loss recently um, in, in Michael. And so um, all, all energy and emotion that we actually passed this resolution in his honor.
thank
um, basically we, we don't want to publish financials until we're sure um, that whatever variance we're finding, if it, is it real? Um, and if so, what's caused it? Um, so we're anticipating that it's going to take us a couple more weeks to have a final determination. Um, we actually are having to wait until we have the, the June, all of the June final AR reports because they've, they've cleaned up all those adjustments. Um, and it's going to take us a couple weeks before we have that valuation. Um, so I just wanted to give a heads up that there's some delays um, on our ability to close the May financials. And I also want to say that we don't believe that this has any impact on our proposed budget um, because the methodology that we've used to um, calculate the expected revenues for fiscal year 19, um, you know, it, sh it shouldn't have any impact on that. And if there was an issue that we found later, we would obviously bring that back to the board um, for consideration. So. Just to add a, a little bit more, um, um, obviously uh, we wanted to give you all uh, as early a heads up about what we're seeing as a, as a concerning uh, issue uh, as possible. We had shared this with the board president and we, uh, now um, with the incoming uh, finance committee chair as well. Uh, so as, as uh, Nancy said, the, the biggest uh, thing that we think is causing this variance is, as you know, we successfully renegotiated a contract with Alameda Alliance. That contract is retro to January 1st. I'm sorry, I'm using the problems for this. Sorry, that contract is retro to January 1st. While we had an idea of what our rates would be, which are more favorable rates, uh, we, and we did forecast some of that, uh, um, uh, that pickup in our financials since that time, uh, the actual process now of we signed the contract and either at the end of April or sometime in May. And so now the process of reprocessing all of those claims to now get those uh, uh, new rates is what's, what has occurred or what happened in the month of May and maybe even extended, I think it extended into June as well. And so uh, what she's saying is when those uh, claims get reprocessed, effectively they create new contractuals as well. And so there's an issue of sort of are those contractuals compounding contractuals that were already there? Uh, but we have to figure all of that out because the way in which, and she Nancy mentioned this when she went over the financials uh, 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 last month, the way in which we do uh, financials on a uh, accounting period basis, on a month to month basis, or have done it historically, we are working on changing this uh, going forward, has not been as discreet a reporting. It's not been in that month only. Uh, any impacts on the actual remittances of bills that we've been getting from prior months and it's multiple periods have been influencing then the contractuals uh, that change the gross uh, revenue to what the net is in any given month. And so uh, trying to piece together all those different months and the, the moving parts on it is a fairly complex thing to do. And as you said, uh, while it's concerning to us and so much so that we wanted to give you a heads up and so much so that we have asked for, and I believe have gotten concurrence that we will delay the May reporting until we can uh, 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 clean this up and figure out if it's real or not, and then why. Uh, uh, we wanted to at least let you know now and let you know what's going on. So, and, and the point about the budget, too, because we, we discussed that at length as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm just add uh, some new chair of the Finance Committee that I had a long debrief today. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm very comfortable with uh, how staff is handling this matter, and I would add that. Um, you know, it's easy sometimes when you're management to sort of just roll things along that uh, create 
flat was in the portal. I sense here uh, staff being on top of trying to clean up a little bit of the process of making adjustments uh, from prior periods and making a reports that we receive monthly uh, truer to the period that's reported. Mm -hmm. All right. Interesting. Is there any further questions? Thank you so much. And, and again, I, I concur that bringing this to our attention now and, and you know, kind of uh, discussing the, the fact that we're still very confident in the budget projections as we move forward. Um, <clears throat> that's why I wanted to have that conversation now, uh, not Five minutes. <laughs> I should also mention, I, I mentioned to Nancy that uh, when the chair asked me to chair this committee, um, I thought of Nancy. So I think we were in good hands with the interim CFO that we had. Great. Excellent. Uh, Luis, did you want to take questions about your report? It's written. I mean, we all heard it at finance, so you're available, but not everyone's on finance, so I'm not sure if you have questions for this report or if you had anything you wanted to present. I don't. No. Okay, great. Well, with that, we can move back to um, F5. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, in, in, sure. okay. Yes, you're right. Uh, in similar fashion, uh, I want to uh, thank uh, the Finance Committee, uh, but also the rest of the board. This will be the fifth time, uh, <laughs> including both Finance Committees and, and two prior uh, board meetings uh, that we have discussed the budget. Uh, there was no, uh, like we did in finance committee, no, uh, there were no, old, there were no substantive changes since the last time we discussed this, and so no intention to actually walk through all the detail, uh, uh, the detail uh, um, uh, sort of uh, layout of the budget as we did in prior, uh, prior discussions. So I, I'm here actually just to uh, ask for your endorsement of the budget as it's laid out, which is our best thinking and our planning for how we will execute on the deliverables that we've outlined uh, in the budget for the year, and, uh, and uh, I believe that we'll be able to achieve the goals that we set out for the organization, both on the operating and the capital side. But I'm happy to entertain any questions you can have. Motion to approve. Section 5495749. And the other is in reference to the Irish Under Code Section 5495.